first reading is taken from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have heard and heard we proclaim also to you, sorry, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The word of the Lord. Let's now stand as Caleb reads for us the gospel reading. The gospel this morning is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. The Lord be with you. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
pray with me. Father, we pray for your son Jesus to be seen and recognized in our midst when we gather around your word and to celebrate communion. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So the days following Easter at, for the first Christians, they were the darkest and the most uh, disappointing. Even as Jesus began to make his rounds, showing up alive uh, to his friends and family, they were all locked inside their rooms. They were afraid. They were disillusioned. But a few of them, they just ran away from Jerusalem. Now we read in our gospel about two of the first Christians who ran away from that place and source of their greatest disappointment. Now these two Christians, they turned away from Jerusalem, that holiest of places that they grew up hearing and reading and believing to be the place where their Messiah would ascend to power and establish the kingdom of Israel. Except it turned out to be the place where everyone else ended up killing their Messiah. So they just ran away. They ran away. They never looked back. Now one disciple was named Cleopas and the other is not named by Luke. And there's been a number of speculations as to who this unnamed disciple could be. And it was quite unusual for Luke as the writer because of just how very detailed he was in all the rest of his recounting and reporting of the gospel. Now the Belgian New Testament scholar Jan Lambrecht suggested perhaps that Luke may have intended to not name the other disciples so as to draw his readers in literarily to this very moment, to this story, for his readers to step into the sandals of this disciple, as it were, in their place, becoming the companion of Cleopas. They were both walking away in disappointment, in fear, and even though we as the readers at this juncture, we already know that the Easter event has already happened. We're two weeks in after Easter this year, and the days feel no differently than before. Even though many of us believe the Easter event has already happened, it doesn't feel like it has happened at all. Our, 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 world, our world does not feel like it's headed to the new creation, as promised. You may feel your own life or your family is not headed the same direction either. You may feel disappointed. You may feel a bit of fear, anxiety. You've become perhaps more cynical than ever before and just jaded about everything else. Perhaps you're even walking or running away from that place of former faith and trust in Jesus. It's now even a struggle and a fight to believe like you did in the past. Perhaps you've already walked away from that place of faith. You no longer would identify yourself as Christian. You're no longer a follower of Jesus. You feel it just doesn't make sense anymore to be a Christian. You've walked away. You're, you're not going to look back. You're here or you're, you're online feeling any of these. Uh, please know that you're always welcome here to our community in the church pews in the midst of company here. 
It's absolutely okay. It's absolutely okay to feel and be these things. Not that you need my or anyone else's approval to feel and think any other way. These churches can often be places where it's, it's not safe, not safe to doubt, to ask real hard questions, to be skeptical, to admit you're struggling, to acknowledge that you're just having a very hard time. If you're here and you're online, feeling any of these, <laughs> consider the fact like how and why you are still here. You've chosen to show up to sit in this pew in this Sunday and you chose to click on that YouTube link and to live stream. Like in a real sense, in a real sense, we are all, we're all on this road between Jerusalem and Emmaus. The question I want to raise for us isn't so much about whether we're headed away or into Jerusalem. That's another question. But it's more of a question today of how how are we journeying along this road of faith and doubt? How are we journeying along the road? This is the main question I'm raising. Especially in the new normal we're in, we've all been habituated into and we're accustomed now for the past two years. That is with the constant messaging that it's safer to keep your distance from others. When it's become normal and routine to just stay home, not show up to anything. And it's become normal and routine to just tune in, zoom in, and live stream. And you know what? We may have perfectly legitimate reasons to continue to do so. But at this juncture of the pandemic, we must now ask this question of how are we now journeying in this road of faith and doubt as a church, as a community, as a society, as a city? In our gospel reading, we will see the significance of embodied community in our journey as Christians along this road of faith and doubt, particularly in these two things, in the embodiment of the word and the embodiment of the sacrament, the embodiment of the word, the embodiment of the sacrament. So I invite us now, as you're able to turn to your Bibles or your mobile apps, or you can grab a pew Bible in front of you. We're going to be looking at the gospel of Luke in chapter 24. We will um, first look at the embodiment of the word. Now, by that, I don't mean the incarnation. That is the mystery of when the word of God became uh, human in Jesus. What I mean is the way God's word now in Scripture is at this point of time embodied or manifested to us into our world. Um, let me put it this way. How is the Easter event now being seen and noticed today. If, if Jesus is factually alive right now, how is that Easter event recognized and experienced today in this world and by this world? How is the risen Jesus experienced in you, by you? How is he being encountered and apprehended if he is in fact alive? Our gospel reading is an example. It's one of the many examples of how the Easter event today, how the risen Jesus is now seen and recognized. That is when Christians embody and 
pro the proclamation and exposition of God's word in the context of community, in the context of relationships. We read in verse 15, these first two Christians, they were walking and talking, and Jesus then runs up to them and crashes their conversation. And, and even after having just emerged fresh from death, Jesus kept his classic ways, and then he loved to ask questions. He opened up uh, what we today can call a safe space, a safe space for these two Christians to just air out their disappointment, to air out their sadness, their processing out loud. Jesus here is being a pastor. He's asking questions and he's listening first. He allowed space. And then this is also now classic Jesus. He then confronts and challenges their assumptions, and Jesus doesn't so much insult them, but actually repudiates their unbelief because of their lack of knowledge. So Jesus here unfurls, as it were, the scrolls of Jewish scriptures, and in cracking their code to be entirely Christological. What I mean is that all of God's word, all of Jewish scripture is and was about the Messiah, about himself. And this they kept going in conversation along this road of faith and doubt. Now let me bring up my main question again. How are we journeying along this road of faith and doubt? And we we're being realistic. We're not expecting Jesus himself to metaphorically, as it were, run up beside us to then give a response or give an answer to our questions, to our wonderment, to our puzzlement. Wouldn't that be grand if Jesus were to just do that for each one of us? But you know what? Other Christians today, they can do it in person. They can run up, as it were, alongside us on that road, on that same road, to continue that same conversation. That same conversation that Jesus had with the two other Christians. The wonderment, the questions, the sadness, the skepticism, perhaps even the anger. And how we run alongside up on each other is not necessarily having Bible studies together. I mean, as good as that is. I mean, keeping that conversation going in your families, in our church communities. Asking questions and struggling with doubts, wondering the same mysteries and Reminding and spurring one another to see and open up and crack open the Bible together to see where Jesus is. How is Jesus now seen and recognized in our midst? Let me ask that same question in a different way. With whom, with whom are you walking with as you journey along this road of faith and doubt? Have you got questions? Are you asking them of someone? Or do you just go to Google and just type it in? If you're feeling disillusioned, you're sad, you're, you're angry. Are there people to whom and with whom you can share your feelings? People who open up a safe space for you, who will listen first. Perhaps even ask questions. Even pray with you, pray for you. We, we all understand that for relationships to be good, it takes hard work. It takes together for relationships to work. 
Because of that, good relationships are very, very hard to come by. And perhaps in the season or your stage of life, of your family, it's just hard. It's just hard to make time. It's hard to make an effort. But that doesn't change the fact and the reality that the Easter event, or that, that the risen Jesus is now seen and recognized, God's word is embodied in flesh, personated as it were, and furled and exposited, questioned and answered in real relationships. It's chewed and digested in groups, in the awkwardness and exquisite inquisitiveness of, of, of relationship, the long-haul cultivation of in-person community. As Christians together carry hopes and fears, each other's faith and doubt, each other's questions and assurances along the same road. In our first reading from 1 John, the apostle wrote this. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. To those who are tuning in online and you're in town, if you haven't been back to church here for a very long time, please know that you're missed. You're missed. Friends and community here, they miss you and would love to catch up again with you. Presence with us is so invaluable and so treasured. We'd love to see you back. Sharing of God's word in personal fellowship is how God's word is embodied. It's how the Easter event is made manifest for the world to see and recognize the risen Jesus in our midst. That's how our joy is made complete. When scripture is read and heard and proclaimed in the midst of a gathered community, held up to our ears, held up to our hearts, so that we can together see and recognize the risen Jesus in our midst, beside us, walking alongside us on this road of faith and doubt, in the embodiment of the word. Now, secondly, the embodiment of the sacrament. We read in verse 28. So when they all got to the village, the two urged Jesus, still not knowing who he was, to stay with them for the night. And then Jesus obliges. And then, oddly enough, Jesus, the guest here, he ended up somehow becoming the host. He ended up hosting the two over supper. What just happened there? I mean, perhaps, I mean, the two realized that this was no ordinary traveler. This stranger just has so much knowledge of Scripture. He may have perhaps felt... Uh, so much of this person's authority and gravitas that they just let him take the lead. And in verse 30, over supper, now Luke here, he uses this uh, fourfold Eucharistic formula to describe Jesus in detail taking the bread and then blessing it or giving thanks over it and breaking it and then giving it to them. And it was only then that the two finally recognized him. Maybe it's the way that Jesus, the way he served the bread that was reminiscent of their dead rabbi. And just as they realized it was him, Jesus vanishes. What happened? One of my favorite uh, films uh, is the 1987 Danish drama film called Babette's Feast. 
portrayed in part the story of Babette, who was a refugee who fled the city of Paris because of the ongoing counter-revolution that was happening there at the time. So Babette fled uh, to a tiny coastal village in Denmark whose very few inhabitants were elderly and they upheld an extremely pietistic and austere way of life. And in there for 14 years, Babette worked as a housekeeper for these two aging sisters. They were the daughters of the late founding pastor of the village church. So the 14 years had elapsed and then one day, Babette got news that she won the lottery of 10,000 francs back in Paris. She had a friend back there renewing her ticket every year, and she won. So instead of going back to rebuild her life, Babette decided to spend the money, all of it, on the villagers out of gratitude for being brought in and welcomed by them all these years. So she decided to prepare a full seven-course French dinner for everyone during the celebration, the occasion of the founding pastor's 100th birthday. So as news spread, it didn't take so long for the news to spread in this tiny village. That The villagers were about to be served this luxury feast. They, they obliged grumbling, uh, in their grumbling way, grumbling way, but they resolved not to give uh, any way to the essential pleasures and tastes of the dinner because in their Protestant sect, they believed that pleasures were sinful. And it so happened. So it happened the same time there was a visiting general uh, the, to the coastal village as the guest of honor for the birthday celebration. He was a nephew of one of the villagers. So here it is. Dinner was being served and each course was being presented and the general seated there, not knowing what was going on, the, how the villagers were conniving in this way, was, he was instantly smitten by the sumptuousness of the meal. He began giving detailed commentary on each dish and soup and reminisced of the time many years ago of having eaten the same exact meal at the famous Café Anglais in Paris. And then the general was just so astonished how like everyone else around the table, they were so grim, they were so quiet. They just kept looking down, they just kept eating quietly. It's like, what's going on? This is like, you're not enjoying this? And then the general he just kept exuding praise and wonder for what he was eating and tasting. And soon everyone as it were, was given permission to just break down in their resolve, to just give in to the pleasure and to the joy of the dinner. And soon the villagers, they, for the first time, they were laughing with each other. They were chatting with one another. Most of their time and years there just kept to themselves. People held grudges to one another. And then now they're forgiving one another. Friendships were renewed Old loves in their marriages, they were rekindled. Everyone at table, they were reminiscing of days past in honor and memory of the founding pastor. There was this mystical sense of fellowship that had just dropped down on the table and around as people ate and enjoyed Babette's sacrificial gift to them. Then after supper, when they were all cleaning up, the two sisters grabbed Babette's hands and thanked them and said goodbye, assuming that she was going to go back to Paris. But then Babette disclosed that she had no money left. It was all gone. She, she said, like, I spent all my lottery winnings on, on you, on dinner. And she revealed that she was in her former life 
the head chef of this famous Café Anglais in Paris. And Babette assured them that she was not going to go anywhere. I'm staying put. I'm already at home with you, with everyone in this village. The story of Babette's feast, it dramatized this greater story and this greater power of the sacrament of the Feast of Holy Communion. It was in the breaking of the bread, the tasting and eating of Jesus' sacrificial gift on the cross, the table fellowship that he hosted that opened the eyes of the disciples to the presence of their risen Messiah. Their disappointment then suddenly met this sudden and surprising yet familiar face of joy. In their fear and despair, they dissolved into this ocean of unimaginable hope. You know what happened? The two, they immediately got up. They ran back to that place and source of their greatest disappointment to Jerusalem. And that was 11 kilometers away. Now they're risking their lives again at night on that same road to that place of great disappointment. That same road of fear, disillusionment, of doubt and skepticism. In the dead of pitch black night, they ran, they ran. They had as light on their travels, just their hearts. It was just burning. They were burning, ablaze with renewed imagination, with recreated hope. That was only what they had that guided them back in, at night to Jerusalem. Their hearts burning. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Verse 35 to 2, they found the 11 apostles and told them what happened on the road. They recounted how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is like an eyewitness account, right? You're going to record something. Like, what stood out for that eyewitness? What was the highlight of it all? In their own words, Luke said this, these two found out it was Jesus because of the way he broke the bread. It was in the breaking of the bread in their midst at table that Jesus was seen and recognized, the embodiment of the sacrament. How are we journeying along this road of faith and doubt? Are we together eating at the communion table, around the table, leaving space and leaving seats for one another at the table to rekindle and reaffirm our Christian love for each other, extend forgiveness, reconciliation if we are holding grudges or sins unforgiven? As we remember and live out and taste the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ in memory of him, in the honor of his name. The Eucharist is real food. It's real drink. It's our real and spiritual source of fuel, of energy and strength on this traveling of this road of faith and doubt. And communion can never be celebrated alone, just by yourself. I mean, how can it be called communion unless there's a community? A community who's gathered in faith and with thanksgiving to bring up the feast together. I, I very much miss the way we used to eat around uh, the table, literally along the rails. It was a real visual. It was a, our corporate dramatization of, of our embodiment of the sacrament. When we kneel and wait together at table, 
eating together, waiting for one another to, to file up and kneel along the rails. We, we, we literally wait for each other, and then we return to our seats together. As we wait, as everyone else is served, this is another way the risen Jesus is seen and recognized in our midst. That is to visually show our unity, our patience with one another, our being together in our table manners, the way we eat and share and wait for one another at table. This is another way we can journey along this road of faith and doubt to embody the sacrament. Now in his commentary in our gospel reading, the Anglican uh, scholar and bishop, N.T. Wright, he observed this from our gospel story. This is what he said. Scripture and sacrament, word and meal, are joined tightly together. Oh, you take scripture away and the sacrament becomes this piece of magic. Take the sacrament away and scripture becomes this intellectual, emotional exercise, detached from real life. Put them together, you have the center of Christian living, as Luke understood it. Embodiment of the word, embodiment of the sacrament. We need both. If we're to continue any longer and further on this journey of faith and doubt as a community, as a church, and even as a society. And with God's help, we can, we shall can embody the Easter event, to manifest the resurrection hope of Jesus in our embodying together both word and sacrament as a community, so that we and others may, may come to see again, may recognize again Jesus in our midst. He is now walking with us, walking alongside us, along that road, not to our away from greatest disappointment, but towards the promise of the new creation. Let us see and recognize Jesus in our midst through word and sacrament. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.